You're listening to Comedy Central. Do you celebrate Columbus Day? No? A lot of people don't anymore. I understand why people don't celebrate Columbus Day, but I also am going to be sad when it like eventually goes away because people will be like, oh yeah, Columbus, this was terrible. The guy like came to America, he didn't even come to America, he was going somewhere else and then he found the wrong place and whatever. But I go like, isn't that what the holiday should be about? Celebrating the fact that even as failures, we can be remembered fondly. That's what inspires me. I look at Columbus and every time I make a mistake in life, I go like, this could be the new America. The point is, I think there's like one part of Columbus that I will, I will celebrate. And that is, he's taught me that being a failure is not the worst thing in the world. Sometimes your failure could lead to, I mean, tragic and horrible things, <laughs> but also maybe like a new story. But I guess that's just me. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on earth, it's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, why you can never get McDonald's ice cream. Get your Audemars. And logic. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with the NBA, the only place where tall people aren't asked if they play basketball. Now, NBA players are used to taking charges, but usually from other players. This time, it's from the FBI. Breaking news, 18 former NBA players are charged with trying to defraud the league's health and welfare benefit plan out of nearly $4 million. Ex-Nets player Terrence Williams, ex-Knicks player Shannon Brown, Ronald Glenn Davis, and 15 other former players were indicted for conspiracy to commit health fraud and wire fraud. They're accused of submitting claims for medical and dental services they were never done. The ex-players got about $2.5 million. Okay, look, look, I know a lot of people are shocked by this, but guys, why are we surprised? Pretending to be hurt is a huge part of playing in the NBA. Which, by the way, I'm all for. I think men shouldn't be afraid to express when they're hurt. And once you retire, you gotta make money somehow. I mean, what's more dishonest? Stealing money from the health fund or Shaq claiming that Papa John's is good pizza? This is all fraud. We're all friends here, but hey, Getting caught is bad news for these players. And it's gonna be great news for whatever jail is about to get the best prison basketball team of all time. Can you imagine having these guys play? Hell no, I'm, I'm not guarding Big Baby Davis. That guy's huge. I might be a murderer, but I'm not crazy. But let's move on to a story about the mafia. You know, the guys who know a guy if you need a guy for that. The mob has been an American institution since the 19th century, but now, It's in the hands of millennials. And it turns out that just like mailing a letter or dressing up for work, they're not very good at it. Organized crime in New York is less organized than it used to be. Mob investigators say many of the clans are being fundamentally mismanaged nowadays. There's a common thought among the old guard of mobsters that the millennial generation hasn't properly learned the ropes. Also something that the old guard says is that the younger mobsters are always texting, which makes it so much easier for them to get caught. Okay, okay, fair criticism. You know, I understand that texting makes it way easier to get caught doing crimes, but here's my question. As a millennial, I would like to know, what else are we supposed to do, huh? 
talk on the phone? Yo, I'll take life in prison over that shit any day. If you ask me, the real problem here with the mobsters texting is not getting caught, it's getting your point across. Because threatening to beat someone to death isn't as terrifying when it's done in a series of emojis. And obviously this isn't just a mafia thing. Every workplace is dealing with this kind of boomer versus millennial culture clash. You know, I bet even in the vampire community, you have older vampires mad at the younger ones. Lazarus, I've told you a thousand times, do not write blood on your Venmos. And finally, data breaches. They're a part of everyday life, from credit card companies, to government agencies, to Steve. I told you my pin in confidence, Steve. But today, it's video gamers who are getting owned. The popular game streaming platform Twitch is the latest online victim of a hack attack. Several tech media outlets say the company, which is owned by Amazon, confirmed an anonymous individual posted a 125 gigabyte file containing Twitch's data. The reports say the platform's source code was leaked along with how much top streamers on the service get paid. So far, no user data was leaked. Twitch says it's working on the problem. That's right, tons of data on the video gaming site Twitch was hacked. Although when you see what was actually leaked, I think this could have been way worse. You know, let's all be grateful that we didn't see any of Bowser's dick pics. I'm curious now though, do you think the carpet matches the shell? But there was some eye-opening stuff in that leak. We learned just how much some of these Twitch gamers make, up to $9 million. Yeah, and that's gonna add insult to injury, knowing that the guy who teabagged you last night in Call of Duty was doing it from a private jet. Oh, and in case you're wondering who the highest earning gamers are, topping the list was a gaming group, Critical Role. And at the bottom of the list, once again, was Chuck Schumer playing Snake on an old Nokia. All right, that's all the time we got for the headlines. Let's jump straight into our main story. If you ever eat at McDonald's, First of all, congratulations on being basic. But secondly, you've probably noticed that there's one menu item that's even harder to get than the Mac rib. Federal investigators are reportedly looking into why McDonald's ice cream machines are frequently broken. There are accusations the manufacturer of the ice cream machines deliberately built in flaws in order to profit on repairs when their own technicians have to fix the machines. Frustrated customers on social media have been complaining about the busted machines. No matter what time of the day I go to McDonald's, the damn ice cream machine is broke. You just got a big ass machine sitting in your store that's broke all the time, 24-7. Either fix the shit or throw it out the fucking window. Hell yeah! The people have had enough of not having enough ice cream. And now the feds are going after McDonald's, which by the way is the most American headline of all time. Federal investigators are looking into McDonald's. All this shit going wrong in America and they're like, the feds need to investigate what's happening at McDonald's. And surprisingly, this is not happening because of the Hamburglar. Although I wish someone had told him that before he offed himself in the bathroom. He always said he'd never go back to prison. In fact, the broken ice cream machine is such a big part of McDonald's identity at this point. Like, I feel like they should just make the machine one of their mascots. You know, just be like, hi kids, I'm McFlurry. The ice cream machine that's too sick to work. <coughs> I should have got the vaccine. But the truth is, McDonald's ice cream machines are far from the only product that people are having trouble repairing these days. In fact, this issue is so widespread that it has spurred an entire movement called Right to Repair. But the question is, 
why has fixing things become so hard and expensive? Well, let's find out why in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. Fixing things. It's what human beings have done since the beginning of time. We fixed London Bridge, we fixed telescopes, we fixed boxing matches to make it look like YouTubers can actually go the distance against Floyd Mayweather. And it used to be that when anything broke in your life, whether it was a car, a lawnmower, you would try and fix it yourself. Remember that? And then after you broke it even worse, you would bring it down to a local repair shop and watch them fix it while you pretended to know what was happening. Ah, uh, yeah, the sprocket. You gotta sprocket the thing in the... Yeah, that I was gonna do that. But these days, there are fewer and fewer options for how to fix the things that you own. We live in a free market, but when it comes to repairing electronics like smartphones, you are not free to choose where to go. If you were the hopeless person with a broken gadget, you'd immediately go to the Apple store. And that's exactly what Apple wants you to do. The company and many others restricts how and where you can repair your stuff. Anything that has a chip in it right now is probably impossible to repair without using the manufacturer. That means tractors and cars. It means your smartphone. It means increasingly the refrigerators and washing machines that people have in their homes. When something breaks and the only solution is to take it back to the manufacturer, they can charge you whatever they want. So this is a MacBook Pro that uh, Apple, uh, the Apple store said would t cost $1,200 to fix and wasn't worth doing. So if I walked in off the street with this problem, what would you charge to, for the repair you just did? Depending on the model, anywhere from 75 to 150. Okay, people, that's outrageous. They're charging 10 times as much as they need to. I mean, that's movie theater concession stand prices, which is ridiculous. How can electronics cost that much to take apart? Most of them were put together by children. And this kind of price gouging is why people basically turn to witchcraft when something goes wrong with their electronics. Let's just put the phone in a bag of rice and say a spell. I can't afford the genius bar. And just by the way, this is an aside. I always thought that calling Apple technicians geniuses was very ballsy, because I bet real geniuses get really offended by that. You're a genius? Yeah, I did groundbreaking medical research that has saved millions of lives. You're also a genius? Yeah, I can get uh, piss out of a headphone jack. But of course, the manufacturer wants to be the only place that you can go to fix their product. That's always been the case. What's different is that more and more, they're designing their products to make sure that that happens. Today's gadgets are designed to be unfixable by the average person or by anyone at all. Manufacturers are making repairs harder, like limiting the availability of spare parts or using adhesives that make parts difficult to replace. The biggest challenge, yeah, I think this is glued, is removing the old battery, which is glued into the case making things hard or impossible to repair. Instead of being able to swap out a simple part, it is often tied to a bunch of other expensive parts or completely inaccessible. Companies like John Deere installed digital locks, which prevents anyone but an authorized technician from conducting repairs. There is a special screw on the iPhone. It's a special five-pointed screw that no one <laughs> had seen before the iPhone that Apple put on there just to keep you out. It's as if they've engineered this to go, go on, I dare you to try to repair it. Just think about it. At this point, it is harder to break into a phone than the Capitol building. They got special screws, digital locks, glue everywhere, 
And apparently the next iPhone has special software that if it catches you even Googling how to change my own battery, it just sends your nudes to all of your contacts. And now you might be thinking, well, I don't have a five-pointed screwdriver, but I'm sure that there's a repair guy who has one. But that's still not a solution because these companies aren't just making it harder to fix your own device. They're also punishing you if you try. Companies like Apple, Microsoft, and John Deere have refused to share specialized tools and replacement parts needed to make the repairs, as well as instructional manuals and diagnostic software. Apple clearly sees unauthorized third-party repair businesses as the enemy. Lewis Rossman and iFixit have received legal threats from the company when they publish schematics or repair manual information. If you post that manual online, they'll send you a legal takedown threat saying that's our copyrighted material. If you don't take it down, we'll sue you for up to $150,000. Tech devices, including some made by Apple, if you try to open them up and get them fixed, uh, you actually void the warranty. Hmm. There are even some cases where the company will brick your device if you try to take it open and fix it so it doesn't work anymore. Now, come on, guys. I feel like this is a little childish, right? I didn't want to go to you to fix the broken phone that you sold me, so you break the phone even more? Why are you taking this so personally? Like, you sold me a phone, we're not dating. I mean, between the threats and restrictions, we're basically in a conservatorship with these companies. You know, we need the free Britney people to come get all of us. And they've got the time now. And I will say this, I will say this, to be fair to manufacturers, they do have some reasons to be doing this beyond just wanting more money, you know? Many manufacturers will say that these are very complex products and that having any random dude monkeying around in there isn't safe and could damage the products, which actually makes sense. You know, like one time I took my TV to get fixed by some random Nigerian guys who had a shop. This is back in South Africa, right? And then when I got the TV back, technically it was fixed, technically. But now only channel up worked, so you couldn't go down. So every time I wanted to flip between the channels, I was like, all right, what's the score on this game? Okay, go back to the other game. This is gonna take a while. You know, the worst is when I went back to those Nigerians, I was like, yo, Adibo, you messed up my TV. And then he was like, no, the thing that's messed up, Trevor, is your brain, huh? Why do you want to go down? In life, you must only go up. Only go up. Jesus wants us to ascend. But there needs to be some new limits to how far they can take this thing. Because this would be bad enough if it just meant overcharging for a phone repair. But in some cases, your life could even be at stake. There's a key obstacle to keeping medical equipment of all types up and running. Vital work often gets blocked by device makers. Manufacturers refuse to provide access to service manuals and design machines to require calibration software to activate new spare parts. They don't want to work with us because we're a third party company. They don't want to give us tech support over the phone. They don't want to sell us parts and uh, they don't want to give us any technical literature. If we don't have the material, of course, we can't do the work. Uh, we're dealing with lives here. Okay, this seems a lot worse than the other stuff. You know, I know we all feel like if our iPhone breaks, we'll literally die, but without hospital equipment, you literally, literally die. And this, this whole thing is a wake-up call. You know, repair restrictions don't just stop you from eating ice cream at McDonald's. They can also stop you from getting emergency care because you ate so much ice cream at McDonald's. And the good news is, the good news is, there's a movement that is building to regulate just how much manufacturers can restrict your right to repair your own products. And in July, they even got President Biden to sign an executive order to address the problem. And I, for one, I hope that something comes out of it. 
Because when you're flatlining on a hospital bed because the ventilator isn't working, the last thing you want to hear the doctor say is, sorry, buddy, we could fix it ourselves, but <laughs> we really don't avoid the warranty. Sayonara. And if you don't know, now you know. All right, when we come back, Ronnie Chang has some opinions about autumn, which you don't want to miss. We'll be right back. Today is the 25th anniversary of Fox News, and I just want to say thank you. I don't know where I'd be without you, Fox News. Probably vaccinated. Before I was forced to watch Fox News against my will, I got my news from sketchy sources like the New York Times and books. Now the only book I need is Facebook.com. Because of Fox, I see more threats every day than the CIA sees in a year. Terrorist fist jab, secret Obama blinking signal, Colin Kaepernick voter fraud, artisanal mustard. Without Fox News, I wouldn't know that Hillary Clinton showered in baby blood or that Planned Parenthood invented Benghazi with George Soros and the Teletubbies at the Venezuelan BET Award. The loony libs say that Fox News built their empire on sexism. But that's ridiculous. Would Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly have paid hundreds of millions of dollars to women who used to work at Fox News if they were sexist? Hello? Cash for gold. Cash for gold. Using a catheter has never been easier. Hi, I'm Glenn Beck. Can I interest you in the reverse mortgage? Socialism. <gasps> we sent our very own Jesse Waters to the Ground Zero Mosque to uncover Malia Obama's college transcripts. Let's take a look. Fox News, you should be proud of yourself. For the past 25 years, you've brought half this country together against the other half. Who else has done that? Sharia law, cut and run, fast and furious, Green New Deal. Why is Common at the White House? Why is Obama playing basketball with the Quran? So thank you, Fox News. You're not just my Fox and friends, you're my Fox and family. Mostly because my real family won't talk to me anymore. Beyonce's a ghost. Welcome back to The Daily Show. It is October, which means autumn is here. And no one is more excited for the season than our very own Ronnie Chang, who shares his joy for everything autumn in our brand new segment, Falling for Fall with Ronnie Chang. Okay, first off, I don't give a shit about fall, okay? But the network said I need to project a more cuddly image or whatever. So I guess I gotta pretend to be excited about fall now. Even though it's always the same old bullshit. The only thing that changes is the amount of crap they put pumpkin spice into. And this year, I'm pretty sure the pumpkin spice is rotting everyone's brains. Here we go again. Time for our autumn obsession with all things pumpkin. Pumpkin spice is everywhere, but these days it's not just for lattes anymore. This morning you can even buy, get this, pumpkin spice scented toilet paper. People are giving the product great reviews. You can buy a 10-pack of pumpkin spice scented face masks. Would you actually want that? The description says it gets its fall scent from essential oils. Yeah, a pumpkin spice face mask? I'll just take the COVID. Thank you. Who wants pumpkin spice in their nose all day long? When I'm walking around New York, I want to breathe the natural aromas of the city. Hot garbage and urine. And I can't believe people are buying pumpkin spice toilet paper. Why wipe your ass with something that already smells like shit? The only thing more pathetic than buying pumpkin spice toilet paper are the people who give it a review. You don't need to review toilet paper, okay? Does it wipe the poop off your butt? Yes? That's five stars. Oh, wait. I forgot. I'm supposed to be happy. Oh, pumpkin spice. Mmm, I love it. Mmm, smells like uh, Martha Stewart's armpit. And here's another thing I love about fall. Getting tricked by farmers into doing their jobs. 
With a big boost from mom, two-year-old Lucy picks the perfect apple. Visitors to Apple Ridge Orchards in Warwick, New York, smiled wide today. Hard not to be happy strolling the 63-acre farm filled with all things we equate with fall. We can't leave out the fresh apple cider and apple cider donuts made on site. We tried to ask two-year-old Juniper just how delicious they are. Her response, side-eye. I have never had more respect for a two-year-old in my life. That kid knows she's not getting shit for Christmas because her parents went broke buying oversized gourds. And I can't believe apple picking is a fall tradition. Fruit picking is a job nobody wants nine months of the year, and then suddenly you're cosplaying as an underpaid farm worker? What's your winter tradition? Mopping up puke at a hockey arena? We all need to stop pretending we love apples so much, okay? They're not that good, and they're trying too hard. Red Delicious? You know if it's in a name, it's a lie. It's like a guy introducing himself as Mike 10 inch penis. Oh, sorry, I forgot. Hooray, it's, it's fall. You know climate change is gonna end all this shit, right? We're not even outside right now. It's too hot. We're on a soundstage. This log is fake. These leaves are fake. In 10 years, gonna use them in schools to teach kids what trees look like. I'd say that everyone who loves fall should get lost and die, but turns out they love doing that too. It's a giant corn maze. Take a look at that. A man in Washington County created all of this by himself and transformed part of this Allenport farm into the Howling Hills corn maze. We give everybody a map when they start, and uh, I, I wouldn't lose the map. But if, if you do get lost, we have a drone that will, will be flying over uh, a, all day long, so if, if you need help, we, we can get you in and out. This 10-acre maze consists of winding paths, misleading trails, and some bridges that connect you to different parts of the maze. And if you successfully complete them, you get a free scoop of ice cream. You spend two hours in a corn maze and all you get is a free scoop of ice cream? F ice cream. Give me a free IV drip to replenish my fluids. A shame map and a drone isn't gonna do it, okay? This is the worst exit strategy since the Afghan war. No thanks. Also, why would anybody willingly enter a corn maze? At best, you get murdered by demon children. At worst, you get stuck talking to a baseball ghost. If you want to do a maze so bad, just do the ones on the back of cereal boxes. You don't have to buy the cereal. Just do them in the aisle and then put them back on the shelf. That's what I do. Enough with the leaves. Yeah, I know I'm not being cuddly enough, all right? F forget it. You know what really makes me happy about fall this year? The fact that it might not happen at all. Global supply chain issues have caused more shortages and prices of lots of items have just skyrocketed. Now, the availability of pumpkins is apparently plummeting. Don't be startled if you find a shortage of pumpkins this Halloween season and knowing you might be haunted by higher prices. <laughs> That's right. There might be no pumpkins this year which means I think this might be the best fall ever. <laughs> I can't wait to see all your stupid Instagram pits of barren fields, assholes. <laughs> Enough with the leaves already. Ah, so much joy. All right, when we come back, rapper and author Logic will be joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is multi-platinum recording artist, Bobby Hall, also known as Logic. He's also a New York Times best-selling author and is here to talk about his brand new memoir that takes you through a harrowing and yet 
surprisingly rewarding life. Bobby Hall, AKA Logic. Welcome back to The Daily Show, my dude. Thank you. Normally when I have you on the show, it's to talk about a book. This time is no different. You are a number one New York Times bestselling author. Once again, you're on the bestsellers list. Um, but, but this time, man, can I just take a second to say, like, you, you haven't only written an amazing book. You have shared one of the most painful, funny, inspiring, and vulnerable stories I have ever read. I mean, like, I knew a little bit about your life. You know, we've, we've, we've had a drink together. We've talked. You know, you've been on the show. But, but man, I did not know the breadth of the life you've lived. I did not know what your mother had gone through. I did not know how, you know, you grew up in a home where your mom was in prostitution and your mom also suffered from mental illness and you were in a verbally abusive household. Why did you not go down that road? A road that your whole family, as you say, was just literally, you know, consumed by. I always say it's God and common sense and my relationship with God is different. I'm not a super religious guy. I don't think God is like a white dude with a beard on a cloud, but <laughs> he or she is something, you know what I mean? And, and whatever that power is mixed with, I don't know, because they always say it's nature versus nurture. Yeah. I obviously didn't, wasn't nurtured. Um, and I think it, it, it's just that common sense and got something like I see my brother's cooking crack. I see my brother selling crack to my dad. I see, you know, people running around shooting guns, doing all these things. And I'm like, oh, don't do that. Where other people would kind of follow that path. I was right. like, oh, we don't beat women. Oh, okay. Got it. In, in one part of the book, you talk about a moment where you snap. It's you and your mom and she's just been going at you. You're 17 years old and you grab a baseball bat. And in that moment, it feels like there it is, the trap. Bobby's in the life that his whole family and his community is living in. And then you decide in that moment, you go like, no, I, I, I'm never gonna hit a woman. I'm never gonna hit a woman who gets hit regularly as well. I'm just not gonna be a part of this. But there is a part of Bobby, there is an anger. There is, you know, as any human has, especially going through trauma, like, how do you deal with that Bobby? Like, you know, I, I found myself going like, man, how did you nurture that Bobby? Um, I think I was actually very blessed to, outside of my household, have good people in my life. Like, sure, I had a best friend who put a gun in my hand and I shot a gun first time with him when I was like 14. Like, just stupid stuff like that. Uh, because you want to be loved, which yeah. also goes into even like gang life, right? It's like there's a reason that these young men and women turn to a group that even though it, they may be involved in criminal activities, it's like, well, they, they don't have love from home. But here's a group of people they can call a family. Yeah. And in many ways, we can become, because we're human, kind of coerced into leading a bit of a negative life based on us just wanting to be loved or uh, having a feeling of purpose or, you know, like we uh, belong. Yeah. Um, and Outside of my house, I did have a few people. I had a homie that I could rap with. I had, uh, you know, one of my best friend's moms, who's now my godmother. I consider her my mother. Her name is Mary Jo, and her husband, Bernie, who took me in and taught me lessons. And when my mom was wilding out, they let me sleep at their house. And so I think looking at those few people in my life allowed me to kind of uh, play this chameleon and go, oh, maybe I can deal with things like a normal person instead right, of screaming right, right. and smashing a television set. You're also very funny. 
I think maybe that's why I've always liked you as a person. I mean, I've loved that in your rap. Thanks. I've loved that in you as a human being. I love it in the book. It's painful, man. The book is full of tragedy, but there is so much funny in it as well. I feel like funny is part of how you process a lot of the world. Maybe I relate to that as a person. I go like, yeah, sometimes yeah. funny is what helps me get through a situation that isn't ideal. Um, one of my favorite stories is you talking about your mom going through a Mary Magdalene phase where she's trying to be just like, <laughs> you know, just like a virgin in life. And just, she's, she's like, you know what? I want to be super religious. But she doesn't, she doesn't go about this in the most normal way. Did she, did she actually wear like duvet covers just like in the streets? Yeah, so a little bit of a backstory for those people watching right now. It's like my mother, she would go through different phases. Let me just first and foremost say I love my mother. We haven't spoken in well over 10 years, but she's a broken person. So nothing that I'm saying right now is to attack her. Um, but, yeah, she was kind of crazy. For this time, I was about 14 years old, and she decides I'm giving up my style, all my black clothing and ways of sin, and I'm going to dress like a holy woman. So she's basically like Mother Teresa, um, but like on drugs, and uh, at least not for this section. And she would literally go to the consignment store, find duvet covers and sheets, and she was walking around kind of looking like a nun. But this wasn't religion, really. This was just like my mom being like, I'm on some stuff right now, and right, this is what right. I want to do. So it was it was extremely embarrassing considering there was no real reason for it. But yeah, it was wild. You've got the flip side of that as well. Your dad was on crack for most of his life. Your dad was stealing your identity when you were a child to max out credit cards. You know, your dad, even, even later on, you talk about in the book how you have this relationship where you want to have a relationship with him. And every time he comes in, he's trying to get your money. He's trying to... This is something I think a lot of people can relate to in life. You know, it's one of the reasons I think the specificity of your book is going to reach so many people generally is because people deal with this challenge. You want to be loved. You want to be part of your family. You feel like you're supposed to be because of what the world has told you. And yet at the same time, every time they come in, they break away a little bit of what you've built. How did you figure out those boundaries? It's really funny uh, because when I first bring up my father, I say uh, in the book, I explain how he recently at the time of writing the book uh, just asked me for $800,000 so that he can buy a house and turn it into a studio for his band. We're working on boundaries. So it's funny <laughs> that you bring you know that term up. I love my dad. My dad is like annoying. We're not talking right now. And yeah, every time we do talk, it's always about music or take me on tour, son, bring me over here. Come on, let's do this thing. Let's do that there and all this. And I'm just like, yo, bro, like, how are you doing emotionally? You know, it'd be kind of cool if we could sit down and actually have a heart to heart. But over, the, over time, and I also discussed this in the book, like, I always wanted a dad. And I wanted a dad I could play catch with and go fishing with. And then I realized, oh, okay, that's not this man. Every time I've let him in, in my life, the expectation of what uh, I hope to have as far as a relationship with him differs. And I realize now as I'm older, I would think, well, I'm older so we could have a better connection. But I, yeah. I, I find that we are actually more similar when I was younger because of the immaturity level. Wow. And once again, I don't say this to shit on my dad it's just the truth and it's very difficult and rather than try to ask myself why me i look at my little baby and i go at least i can be what i wish i had for him you know one thing i've learned in life is like we make our assumptions based on ideas that we have of human beings we don't know the human that is behind that story and it feels like there's a little bit of catharsis in that where you're going like all right here it all is 
whether you like it or not is irrelevant. This is, this is what it all is. Why did you write the book? Is, is, is it that? Is there anything else? I mean, it's for sure that it's kind of amazing when you can say something and there's not a comment section immediately like telling you, (laughs) you know, why that sucks or you're whack or whatever the case may be. So that was really cool. Um, Yeah, I think in many ways, like poetically, I was able to leave that chapter of my life like in this in this book. And also not to you know, be extra, but I just want to be completely honest. Like I really uh, I revere and, and respect you. Um, as a man, as a writer, as a comedian, as a, as an artist. And when I read your book, I was like, oh, it's, it's time. This is like, it inspired me to go. I want to tell my story as well. Um, so thank you for that. That's a big reason why I did it. And uh, if it wasn't for you, it wouldn't be here. So thanks. Um, the show is always your friend. I, I hope I will always be your friend. Um, you're welcome anytime you want to join. Congratulations on not just writing an amazing memoir, but man, on living an amazing life. Congratulations on your little baby boy and the new life that you've created for yourself. Uh, I'm proud of you. I think everybody will be. uh, And hopefully I'll see you again, dude. Swag. You gotta let me come back and make some music and and rap on the show, turn up. (laughs) Well, we're looking for a house band. If 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 you're ready, anytime. I've got a few instruments in the back, you can jump in. Oh, let's do it. I'll be like the black thought of like the roots. In your <laughs> Except, all right, my dude. They should. They'll call me like transparent white thought. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh man, oh, Bobby. I'll see you again, my dude. Don't forget, people. Bobby's book, This Bright Future, is available right now. I cannot recommend it enough. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go. This Sunday is World Mental Health Day, so please consider supporting the ACOMA Project. The ACOMA Project offers free virtual therapy and workshops for teens and young adults of color, as well as educating youth and their families on the importance of mental health. If you want to support them in any way, then please donate at the link below. Until next week, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you're in trouble with the mob, Just put your phone in airplane mode. They won't be able to find you. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.